If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. This is another of our popular listeners' choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the listeners' choice winner. If you're not sure how the listeners' choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Our guest today is Teresa Husakova, or as she pronounces it, I think Husakova, we're going to ask her, okay? Anyway, <laughs> Teresa's a dressage specialist coach. She came from the Czech Republic where she used to visit Germany on a regular basis and was also influenced by some French classical trainers. She's trained a Grand Prix and is currently competing FEI on a horse she started as a young horse. How are you today, Teresa? I'm really good, thank you. Good. Now, Teresa, we normally start off with a favourite quote, but I've got to get your last name right. Now, I know that a lot of Australians call it Hasakova, but how do you say it? You say it Hasakova, which is the Czech pronunciation. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we've got that right, but the spelling's the same anyway, H-U-S-A-K-O-V-A. So, uh, Teresa, can you start off with a favourite quote, please? So, my favourite quote would be, if you have a problem with your horse, it's most likely to be a forward problem, so at more forward. Which is, I think, something that a lot of people don't understand, do they? Yes, or exaggerate it on yep. the other side, because there is a lot of horses that tend to be quite hot horses, and if you add forward to it, you will have a perfect explosion, which <laughs> is not really what, what you want from a young horse. No, we want controlled energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. you want you want to have... It forward, it doesn't mean to chase the horse around. It mm. means to actually activate the hind leg and start to start to push it from the back to the front and then using it as you need it. So not letting it go into a run and, um, and a chase. Now, when you started to figure this out, was that like just someone said that to you once or did you figure it out over a period of time? How did that work out? No, that's long, long, long years, long <laughs> years to, to try and figure out how it feels like. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of a feeling that there is an engine in the back that kind of keeps coming to you in um, big, you know, big mm -hmm. bursts of mm -hmm. energy and then you, you catch it, you catch yep. it in the front and, and use it. So that's, that's, you know, it's a feeling that you need to get to. It's not something that someone can teach you. It's, it's something you have to feel. Yes, yes. Now, Teresa, tell us about how you started with horses. You were born in the Czech Republic, is that right? Hmm. And then you used to go to Germany on a regular basis. So did you have horses in the Czech Republic and then you went to Germany to further your skills or what were your first no, memories no, so, there? Yeah. So it's, it's, I've always loved horses, but I come from absolutely non-horsey family mm -hmm. and we come from a capital city. So in Prague, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm born in Prague. So we've got plenty of horses around and in, in a city as well. But financially, we couldn't really afford to pay for my lessons. 
So at the at, when I was five, I would say I got this birthday present that I would, you know, I, I got a lesson on a pony. Yep. No helmets. I was in the shorts. You know, that's that time <laughs> when you really didn't care about safety or didn't know about safety. Yes, yeah. exactly. And the girl would, you know, lead me on this pony and mm-hmm. would trot and canter like the pony could canter next to it. It was a tiny pony, and she would even jump with me, and I don't know how I didn't fall off, but. <laughs> I didn't, and I, I, um, I loved it. And then since then, I was always begging my parents for, for riding. And then I couldn't ride really much, you know. There was occasional rides because of the finances. Yep. Up until eight, and then there was a school exchange with Germany, and they paired me with a really successful pony dressage rider in wow. Germany. Yep. And that was that was it. <laughs> that was it. That was basically how I um got to get to ride really nice German ponies mm. and she was excellent. She was she was she was riding like I know I've never seen anyone ride like that. She's actually a ballerina now in Sweden, so yep. she she doesn't <laughs> do horses anymore. But she, she brought me to you know, to some contacts and I yes. kept them and then kept returning and yeah, so that's that's how I um, got to go to Germany on a regular basis then. And, and basically, I worked my way through. I mm-hmm. never paid for lessons. Yep. I um, worked really hard. And even if I was, you know, when I was a little girl, I still could do some work. And I did everything I could to have the guidance. And they were really appreciative of the work. And, you know, it really, really um, made me to be, to have a really good work ethic mm-hmm. because, if you you know if you can't do it with money, you have to do it with work. Yep. So that's kind of determined my way going. So yeah, it's it's tough. It was tough, but it was really really good. Mm, mm. Now from that time, you know, going over and meeting the German family, were you always going to have a career with horses, or was that a decision that you made? No, I actually I actually studied uni as well. Mm-hmm. I didn't finish it because I came to Australia. But I was really passionate in um, in biochemistry and chemistry and biology. Yep. So I studied studied biochemistry at uni, mm-hmm. and then then left to Australia because I met my Australian partner at uni back in Linz. So back in okay. Australia, where I studied yep. uni. Yep. So yep. so I I wanted to have it as a side career, but you know the thing is the parent pressure was quite high at that stage, and they didn't want me to to do horses so <laughs> you know it was kind of like you have to do and my brothers they one of them has got PhD and the other one is an engineer um so you know I'm the only one who really didn't finish any degree yep. and that's something with you know I'm working with my hands pretty <laughs> so, yes. so for them you know it was quite um not a good idea so I, I went to uni and you know anyway I got to horses anyway so <laughs> <laughs> so it's my main career now Yep, yep. And what do they say now that you're established as a coach and a rider and a competitor? They don't know what to what to really think. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they really yeah. don't know. It, uh, honestly, they don't know what to think. So it's quite hard for them, I think. But there is no other option, really. Yes, yes. All right. Now, for someone that's ready, because you said that you've worked quite hard to get through, you mm. know, to get the knowledge, because you didn't have the money. So you said, right, well, I've worked hard. Besides hard work. What else do people need to have as a core skill or a character trait to start in the horse career? Lots of patience. Um, and if you want to be a coach, you need to have a lot of inter 
uh, or like a, you know a, a communication skills and a lot of personal skills as well. So it's sort of psychology as well because the people that you teach will go through some things that are not as easy, and you have to be there to support them. So really, you know, and with the horses, it's the same thing. Um, the young horses are like like young kids, like kids at school. So you have to be a really good teacher. So these are all the skills that you need to learn to be a good horseman or horsewoman. And, um, you know, there is no no time for frustration with horses either. So you have to really keep your energy and your, your emotional state at bay. You have to really, really, you know, try to be always positive and have a constant mild energy with the horses as well, which, which helps yes. them to, to keep quiet as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, Teresa, what do you think is the best thing about working in the horse industry and working with horses? Well, the horses give you the, the greatest reward, really, mm-hmm. because when you achieve some of the movements, you know, that they feel really amazing and the horse is really happy to do them. And it comes, you know, that it comes to you in a paddock because it wants to work. It's that that's the best feeling. Or if I have a, on the other side, if I have a problematic horse, that's really unhappy horse that comes to me, comes around and comes to, to really good terms with me and, and becomes a really good competition horse. That That's, that's the biggest reward, really. Yes, or yes. With the, if, for, the, for, the, for the human point of view, if I mm. have a student that achieves something mm. um, that they really wanted to achieve, that's, that's also really rewarding. It's sometimes the problem horses that give you the best reward, isn't it? Because they start almost yes. lower, like below zero, you know, and then mm. you've got to get them up and get that trust before they actually start to learn. The horse you've got at the moment was a bit of a problem horse, wasn't he? The one you're competing FEI mm-hmm. on. What sort of things did he do and what sort of problems did he have? Well, he used to buck. Okay. But buck to the point where he would put people in hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he knew how to get people off. And, you know, also any sorts of resistance. So there would be a little bit of rearing in him too. And, um, you know, he just wasn't really happy to, to do the work. It was all to, to avoid the work, really. The bucking was to go away from the arena, get rid of the rider, open the gate, which he could do. He could open the <laughs> gate to the arena yep. and walk himself out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so he's getting rewarded. He sorted yeah. that out. Good. He sorted that out, and he actually is able to teach beginner riders now. Wow. How did you sort out yeah. the bucking and the rearing? I had to stay on. Okay. <laughs> I had to stay on and and basically take the pressure off when he stopped. So I had yes. to apply quite a lot of pressure on him while he was doing it. Yep. But the bucking was quite severe. It, I don't know how I stayed on it. was. I've never experienced such a huge amount of bucking before it was you know he was he was going for it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you take the pressure as soon as it stops and then you just walk off bring your yep. energy down yep and that's yep. it and he stopped he's never done it before and since then you know I've provoked it as well many times after mm-hmm. to see if the if I can put the pressure on again and if it if it will get the the reaction and it never did never did and it's two years ago so and he's he's actually I've 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 made it the opposite way now. I've I've spent so much time relaxing him afterwards and making him to enjoy the work that now he doesn't have any of this excitement or this explosion, <laughs> nothing in him. So so you know, competing him at FER, you need a little bit of positive tension in them. Yes. And yes. I don't have it. 
Okay. So we go to the opposite side now where I have to put a plastic bag on my whip. And, you know, not not literally, but, but, yeah. but you know, it's almost like that. We have had to get, get some something, some personality out of him. But he's lovely. He's lovely. He's now okay. a really, really reliable horse. Good, good. What about people who've helped you in your career? I had a really big influence from the Klim Kess. Yep. Not Ingrid, because Ingrid was, at the time, was um, young as well. But, you know, she's, she was just um, an excellent, most excellent rider. And then um, there was few people along the way that have worked with people like Nuno Oliveira or Philip Carl that have been in my career. They are not successful competition riders, but they have also they've have been you know training at home classical way. And um, when you go to their stables, it's just it's just the most beautiful things to see because it's they took the time. Mm-hmm. They are not pressured by the competition career. And they, you know, they, they show you the, the really the, the highs of the dressage, classic dressage, when there is Levart and Tapriol involved, you know, it's it's absolutely different. And that, that taught me a lot as well. Yes, yes. And um, then in Australia, I've cooperated really closely with um, Heath Ryan mm-hmm. and also with um, Kim Peterson, who is my current, current eyes on the ground, really. And, you know, occasionally I've got, clinics with people with Murray Tompkinson and with people that are at the at the top at the moment so yeah so that's that's how I get to um you know progress and have different eyes on me yep yep now Teresa what's your current horse's name let everyone know his name they see him out and around so his name uh, competition name is cloud nine yep and we call him Goose, Grey Goose. I have a little suspicion that um, it's got something to do with the French vodka <laughs> because I think that you needed something like that before you jumped on him. Yep, yep. So I think that the name came from, from something Grey like Goose. that. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Yeah, sort of a bit like Dutch courage, I think, you know, when, um, (laughs) you know, he was being trained, you need a bit of Dutch courage to get on him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, any other horses that you'd like to say that have influenced you and helped you in your career and helped you with your riding? Yes, of of course, my first horse. Yep. She was an off-the-track thoroughbred mare, big mare, 17-hand-high horse. So, you know, but she was a steeplechaser because in Europe we do steeplechase. And she was so patient, but also so quirky. And I had to learn the patience and, you know, leaving the frustration out of the equation and all of these things to be able to work with her. So she was definitely the, the big influence. And then also every horse that I work is somehow teaching me every time you hop on, it's a lesson for you as well. So 
I can't really say that some horses majorly influence me because every horse that I ride has got some certain influence on me. Yeah, yeah. Now, that 17-hand thoroughbred mare, how old were you when you had her? Twelve. Okay, was she hard? That's quite big for a 12-year-old. Were you doing dressage on Yes, it was quite daunting, yeah, but, you know, I was I was quite fearless, yeah. to be honest. So I didn't even notice the, the, the height of the horse. I just wanted to ride. And was she a bit of a schoolmaster? Was she already? No, no, no. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's quite a lot for a 12-year-old to push together, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if I didn't have a help on the way, I would definitely not be yes, here now. Yes. I probably would be dead. But uh, Yeah, that's a lesson to everyone, isn't it? You know that you do need help yeah. along the way. Yeah. Yes, definitely, definitely. There is never a time where you could just not have any help. Yes, yeah. What do you think your proudest moment with horses has been? The proudest moment mm. where I felt the first flying change probably in my life that was really, really amazing moment. And when it was really, really, oh, you know, and, and I'm really proud of any moment where I have a young horse and I can achieve some nice success and they feel good. But yeah, first flying change was probably the best feeling because the horse that I had the flying change on was a schoolmaster. So it was a proper change. It was quite airy. So for me, it was mm-hmm. quite a big, big moment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. PF, of course. PF. How could I forget? First PF is always yes. really exciting. Yes. yes. All right. Now, Thinking about where you are now, because you had the challenge of growing up through a non-horse family and then sort of having to travel to Germany to get the training, working through the training, having the pressure from your parents to attend uni before you actually came and started riding and coaching and competing and doing things professionally. What do you think has been your biggest challenge? Well, I think that the biggest challenge was to make everything work. So when I had the uni and Mm -hmm. I had a full-time job, and then I had the horses. Okay, so you're really juggling there, yeah. Mm, that was really, really hard because I had to really, really make it happen somehow. And I did. So, And another challenge also is when you come to a new country and you start from the scratch. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was quite a big challenge for me too. I think when I look at it from, you know, from the hindsight, because no one knew me, I had to really build it up. Yes, from nothing. Yes. So that was that was quite challenging as well. And I've never worked in you know, in cafes or I've never done those those jobs that you do when you are young, always road. Mm, so mm. so for me it was that was really strange to to kind of, you know, be suddenly put in a situation where I had to build everything from scratch. Yep. Yep. And it's different too, you know, coming in from a new country, even a new area, because if you grow up in a local area and you win and you're competitive and you're successful it's almost like people are asking you for lessons before you are qualified and you've got to get qualified so then you can give people lessons. You've got your business started or partially established before you get qualified, whereas you're coming in completely the other way around. So it is hard to get started. What did you do? Did you get your own competition horses? Did you put it out there? How did you actually get your first student? No, no, no. I actually advertised mm-hmm. coaching. Yep. So I sorted out insurance. I wasn't you know, quick enough to sort out the, the because NCS qualification takes some time as well. Yes. Not that, you know, I could skip some pathway thanks to thanks to Heath Ryan because mm-hmm. he'd actually wrote uh, on my behalf or, or, you know, with yep. me, he wrote a letter to, to EA and said, and, you know, that he knows me as a rider. He knows how I ride. Yep. How I work with horses. 
So he was able to push it a little bit. So it, it became a little bit quicker process. But yes, I, I basically advertised for my services and yep. people start to respond, you know, and if, if they didn't like you, you, you just, you really don't have a business, do you? So, so that's how I start to build up. And then people started to offer me their horses for training because they, you know, they have, they started to notice me and then it just skyrockets to the point where, yeah. where I am So now. it was really the advertising to get started, but then the word of mouth mm. to keep you going. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because as you say, you can do the advertising, but if your services are no good, word of mouth is going to stop you in your tracks. Yep, You know, exactly. just, people are just going to say, don't go back. But um, if they do, mm. if they're happy with mm. what you've given them and they want to keep going back, that's good. good. Now, if someone is juggling, juggling a lot of things and they don't have time or a bit of time management, have you got a bit of a time management tip you can give people when they're juggling horses and life and, you know, often family and other things as well? What can you give them time management-wise about juggling all of that, some sort of tip that you've had? Well, firstly, you have to have the motivation to do it because Mm -hmm. no time management will help you if you are not motivated to do it because you do have to kind of limit yourself um, a lot. So in your time, I would schedule days with someone that's got family. It's really hard, but I would schedule three days a week that are spread evenly during the week so the horses kind of evenly work. And if you have a young children, I would I would definitely try to get someone to look after them for an hour or you know, hour and a half or two hours if you need to for those three days a week and try to get to the horse either really early or have a facilities where you can have the lights on and, and uh, the opportunity or the availability of that place to, to come late. Yep. So and it's all really about scheduling each hour of a day and be able to do that that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was two things that I really liked about what you said. First of all, you said no time management tips will work if you're not motivated to do it. Because that's right. If you're not motivated to do it, you're always going to find an excuse. There's always going and to be that. And you procrastinate. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is, instead of saying riding six days a week, you've just said ride three days a week. So do something that's a bit achievable to make sure that it is there and it is regular. So if you say you're going to ride three days a week and ride it and do it and you're motivated to do it, that's much better than saying I'll ride six days a week and then you're not motivated and then life gets in the way and you're always too busy and you put it off. Yeah, yeah, no. So I like both of those. That was good, good. And also, you know, if you schedule it so that it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, let's Mm -hmm. say. Yep. That's the perfect schedule for your horse as well. Yes, yes. So your horse is still quite worked, but it's not, you know, it's not feeling that that it's got too much time off, yeah. but it's still kind of a regular management, yeah. And also too, you know, like if you've got family on the weekend, you've sort of got the weekends free and you're doing it, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's what I try to do as well. I try mm. to have, if I don't compete or don't teach, sometimes it's just not possible, but yeah, I've got a partner that, that doesn't do horses yep. and um, he he does suffer a little bit if I don't have the weekend off for him. Mm, mm, so yeah. I, I try really hard to make my weekends free. It's never, never free because you have to go and feed the horses, you know, sure. and people drop off horses and all of this, but you try to have some time for, mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. What, um, you know, because you do a bit of breaking in, how do you get horses if you're breaking in a horse, just tell us a little bit about what you're doing within the training for the first few weeks to get them started as a dressage horse. 
So I do lots of desensitizing. Mm-hmm. So I really want the horse to be confident on the ground. So I don't go and sit on the horse if I see that it's not safe on the ground and it doesn't have the the long reining done. Yep. It doesn't have the they actually you know actually desensitizing done because just imagine that you touch your horse somewhere by accident with your leg when you are getting on and the horse goes and bolts on you or bucks. Mm. That's not what you want. You want the horse to be desensitized, to attach to a sound to, um, um, situation. It's, you know, and you try to cover it from the ground first. So first weeks is a lot of groundwork, lots of desensitizing and a lot of putting into, you know, into situations and also long reining. I start to, you know, bridle them, make sure that they accept the bridle um, I leave it on for a little bit, you know, I let them to eat, to grace with the bridle on under supervision, of course. I never leave the horse unsupervised or in a paddock where it would be dangerous. So it's always supervised and I let them to feel the bridle, to keep the bridle. Then I long rein them when they are a little bit more used to the feel of the bit. And um, yeah, just, just really make sure that they are safe before I hop on. Yep. Yeah. And manageable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, really, really, that's what you want. You want the horse to be quiet when it goes out. You want to have, when someone opens up an umbrella behind you, you don't want the horse to bolt. No, that's you right. You want the horse to that's be right. safe. Yeah. Yeah. And so if the training's progressive, getting on is just another step in that progression, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it shouldn't, yeah, that's right. That's right. What about... Uh, common faults that you might see when you're out competing and riding, something that you see people doing, because we're going to make this into a bit of a lesson, it's what do you see them doing wrong, but also how can they fix it? You know, a lot of um, a lot of those um, mistakes or those faults come from not being educated enough. So um, lots of times I see the horses being really on a forehand in a frame that is not a true frame, that is framed that has been created by the force in the front. So what I would like to, to riders to, to try to do is to actually think about riding from the back than from the front. So because we are human, so we are really, really front focused. We look at things that are in front of us, we forget what's behind us. So we need to always think about what's behind us and make it work, you know, and then be able to forget about the front a little bit because it comes when it when it comes from the back, it will the, the front will come on its own. Yeah. So yeah. that's the common mistake and common fault that I would that I see people, you know, and especially I've 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 done one show in my life, and um, the show show riding is all about sorry being pretty, and not correct very often. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say that it, it is not because of, obviously you can't compete at a real level being incorrect mm, mm. on a correctly trained horse. But at the local shows, you sometimes see the horses being really pulled in that frame without, you know, the correct correct leg and the correct forward and behind, going from behind, really. So, yeah, that's that's the common thing. And you can see it. You can see it in the higher levels then when the, when the basics were skipped. You can really see it. Yes, yeah, and I'm going back to your your quote as well about having a problem with your horse. It's most likely to be a forward problem, and I think you you're going mm. back here to the same fault. You know, if the horse is exactly as you say pulled into a frame with the focus on the front, it won't go forward. That's right. Mm. That's right. And it won't go up in the shortest. It will. It will be downhill movement. It will mm. be uphill movement. Yes. It will be coming down, and then you know it's also when the horse becomes heavy. That means that it's dragging on a forehand. So and it's not picking up the shortest. So 
Yeah, that's yeah. you know that's common yeah. common common problem that you can see. Yep, yep. Okay, now how can it be fixed? Well, I think I think what what the biggest problem is the, that there is no educational program. So people are kind of left on their own very often. They are left, you know, to their own devices. They go to the lessons every now and then, but there is no unified program that teaches teaches that would be. Let's say we've got a EA has got a program for beginners, and it's got appointed coaches that give clinics once a month. Let's say, and the coaches, you know, are really skilled to educate, but they have to be also trainers. That's what it is really difficult because you can't just fix the rider; you have to fix the whole picture. So I think that that could be the way. And also, really, really think about if if, if you have problem and if you if you are experiencing within your test. That that you get low marks because your horse is on the forehand. Seek a good quality trainer mm. or a rider yes. or coach. Yes. coach. Yes. yes. So so you you can fix those problems together. It's not going to be an overnight fix. And that's another problem that I'm experiencing. That some people want to fix it right now, but it just doesn't really happen that way. Yeah. You really yeah. really really have to take that journey and educate your horse properly. And it's it's it's. You know, it's it's hard because it's easier to write them the way that you know that, that it looks pretty, but it's not correct. It's easy. Just put them in a frame, you know, with your hands, kick it a little, and it will work. Mm, mm. And that's the biggest problem that it looks pretty, but it's not pretty. It's it's just hidden somewhere. Yes. yes. Deep down, yeah, that it's not correct. I think, you know, just saying that it's not going to be an overnight fix and, again, you're saying, you know, get, get the right trainer, get the right education to to help fix mm. that problem. Yep, that's good. Mm. Okay. Mm. Teresa, have you got a book that you'd like to recommend to our listeners to complement their training? Yes, but um, I would recommend also for people not to take it literally because you have to have some education to to be able to to understand what's in that book. So it's yes. Philip Carlos' book. I think, what is it called? I think it's called um, Modern Dressage, uh, How to Not, or oh, Incorrect. I, I don't really know the title of the book, but Philip Carlos wrote that book, mm-hmm. and it's about lightness, school of lightness, which is his, you know, which is his thing, yes. school of legality. Yes. So yes, I would recommend that. Just even to broaden the view so on dressage, really, and not not necessarily to use it practically. What are you looking forward to now? You've got your current FBI horse. What else is going on in your life? So I do have um, a lot of young horses coming through that are really exciting. So I do campaign a really interesting mare at the moment. She's a young mare. She just turned five, and she's she's actually a Shire cross. So okay. she is um, heavy horse, heavy horse cross. So she is a different type of horse than you would like to see in a dressage, but she's an absolutely, absolutely talented and oozing little thing. <laughs> so she's my new one coming yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Now, Teresa, just in a few sentences, would you be able to summarize your philosophy about horses? I think that what's the most important in riding is really to be patient to approach the horse not as an enemy but as a friend and when you have a problem try to make that problem into a little like separate the problem into little little parts and sort out each part and when you when you've got that it will all come 
together nicely and you will actually sort the problem much in a much nicer way and much more friendly way than if you try to just sort out a big, big problem. Yeah, sometimes those big, big problems can be overwhelming, but if you, you know, as you say, yeah. separate the problem into little parts, it's just like saying, well, we'll just work on this little bit now and uh, you can focus yeah. on that little bit and get that sorted and get the trust in your horse as well so they start to understand. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So most of the time it's really misunderstanding of the horse. Um, it's not the horse being naughty but not understanding the rider. So mm. sometimes you have to make a step back and, you know, even hop off and think about it and say, okay, so this is happening. I've got this problem. Let's think about it. What is actually the underlying issue? Because sometimes, you know, let's say you've got a problems in your walk pirouettes, let's say. The horse is, you know, sliding through the shoulder or grinds the hind legs. Well, it's most likely a problem of your collection in your walk. So, so you know, like you have to, you have to actually go back to, um, to the basics, like collecting the walk, you know, go forward into medium walk, then come back to collected walk, you know, things like that, that actually influence. And then if you have problems in walk pirouette, you will have problems in cant pirouette. So this is all, all really, really connected. So yes. sometimes you have to kind of think outside of the box and not be like, okay, this shoulder is sliding in my canter period. I have to sort it out right now, put up, you know, hand, push with that leg. It's a really, really temporarily fix. It's going to fix the period for a second, but mm. it's not going to fix it long term. So yep. you need yep. to really go back. Yes. So, you know, things like that. Yes, I, I've, I've, these examples that I just said are quite, quite advanced examples, but it works the same with the basics, absolute basics. Yes, yes, I think so. And I think, you know, we've got some some more advanced people listening as well. So I'm sure that Mm. will relate across, you know, as you say, across from the basics through to things that are a bit more advanced. Teresa, how can people contact you? Definitely through our Facebook page, which Mm -hmm. is the greatest source of of my followers, really. (laughs) Okay. So, which is, you know, which is interesting, but yes, that's how it kind of came across. Yep. So if they look at PF Equestrian Services, which is the company that I've, um, I've got, mm-hmm. that's how they can contact us. So uh, we've got an email as well. We've got a contact number. So I'm happy for any, anyone that's interested, even just for even a little chat about it, you know, if they want to want an advice or, you know, a little help, which is really hard to do over the phone, but, you know, can have a little, little, um, little chat. Yes, it's all it's all knowledge, isn't it? You know, even even just that little chat over the phone can just have that little bit of a click, little bit of a something that's closed the problem. Yeah. Also, those details will be on horsechats dot com slash Teresa T E R E Z A Hasakova H U S K O V A so slash Teresa Hasakova or else go to horsechats dot com and search for Teresa with a Z T E R E Z A and you'll find Teresa's page. Okay, thanks, Teresa, for talking to us. It'll be really good to get you back and talk in a bit more depth another time um, with some of the things that you've said. But I think there's been quite a lot of tips there for people to uh, go away and work on and think about when they're working with their horse. So thanks very much for that. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you, thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. 
If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.